surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about cis white men and we're going to be talking about penises and masturbation to kind of end us off here on Masturbation May. So I hope that all of you are taking care of yourselves. I hope that you are enjoying your week. I hope you're finding space for pleasure, for rest, for joy, all of the things that you are highly, highly deserving of. And I want to get into a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. So my guest today um, is Cam Fraser, who is a certified professional sex coach and certified sexologist. And I got to say, I think this is a really important episode. Um, Even in my conversation with Cam after recording, I'm really, really happy to have had him on the show. And, you know, I think when we are examining the things that we want changed in our culture when we're examining the ways that um, power is imbalanced and the way that, uh, you know, yeah, I guess it, when we're acknowledging the gender differences in our culture, all of this, um, there typically is an oppressor and there is the person being oppressed. And when we look at the actual culture of patriarchy, of men, you know, born, born, gender, I can't, I can't speak words, uh, male assigned at birth, uh, cis men. When we look at them, we typically think, especially when they're white, we typically think, you know, they have all the power in the world. They don't get to have any kind of feelings. They don't get to, you know, struggle in any way because you've got it made because everything's working in your favor, so on and so on. You know where this is going. You probably have felt this way at some point in your life. And while this is where the nuance is, right? This is where we have to challenge ourselves to hold both because people do not exist in a box. And I think it's so important to recognize here that while someone may be in a position of power because of patriarchy, that patriarchy is still damaging, for every gender, including the gender it is supposed to, you know, benefit, right? Yes, there are some benefits, but at at the end of the day, it really actually is causing a ton of harm. So I think it is super important to be able to hold these conversations, to be able to hold space for folks who are also the ones holding power and to be able to also acknowledge the fact that these things might not actually be working in their favor as well because that also has a ripple effect then, right? That also then changes the rest of everything else and how they impact, uh, sorry, and how they interact with people and, and interact with the systems 
that just creates a ripple effect. And I think that piece is almost kind of what gives me hope. (laughs) Honestly, Um, I find that in my own like romantic relationships, I feel I've had to do a ton of emotional labor and emotional work with the cis white men that I have dated to unpack patriarchy, to unpack some of these things that even show up within our sex lives. Um, So today, in one of the few episodes that I feel like we've had on the podcast, uh, we're going to be centering uh, cis white men in this in this podcast episode. And I do hope that if you are a cis white male listening, I hope that you're particularly opening or listening with open ears, open mind, and open heart. And I hope you provide some care for yourself, provide some support for yourself. Um, if you are a non-white cis het male, I hope you share this with someone you love and who you hold relationship with, who is a cis white male. And I particularly hope that you will listen with an open heart, open mind, open ears. Still care for yourself. Still acknowledge frustrations that might come up for you. Still totally your feelings in whatever might get triggered for you in this episode with centering this population is valid, right? So maybe take a deep breath if needed. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and really, really value this work. And I'm just very excited to introduce you all to Cam. So without any further ado, let's talk about it. All right. So welcome, Cam, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. You're all the way in Australia. So it's what time there? Uh, It is just gone nine o'clock in the morning here. Okay, yeah, nine o'clock and six o'clock Pacific time. Um, so super happy that you're able to, you know, have some flexibility to be able to make the time to come on the episode and share a bit of your personal life, a bit of your knowledge. Um, one of the things that I've been starting to do now at the beginning of each episode with a new guest is to kind of have a, a moment to share identities. Um, that way, you know. Certainly I do my introductions always, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, like this is who I'm going to be talking to. But I think to hear from you, you know, a bit of how you show up in the world of what identities you hold that impact, you know, the rest of the conversation that we're going to have. Um, if you could introduce yourself a little bit to listeners. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm a cishet white dude. That's like <laughs> my, that's my demographic. Like that's who I typically try and speak to with my work. Um, that's mm-hmm. my lived experience. Uh, yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I guess I, I'll be concise and I'll try and share a little bit of my life journey to get to where I am today because it mm-hmm. informs my work, right? Yeah. Like my, my personal experiences definitely inform the, the work that I do today. And and those experiences, the major ones that kind of stand out to me were, um, you know, I went to university in America. So I'm Australian mm-hmm. originally and I went to uni um, in America. When I was 17, I, I flew across and I went to a university in um, Georgia was the first uh, college that I went to. It was uh, mm-hmm. in the Bible Belt in the deep south. And, yeah, it's quite um, a cultural difference there going from Australia to Georgia. Big time. Yeah, yeah. And so I did have a bit of mm-hmm. culture shock and um, whenever I came back to Australia on, you know, the summer holidays, um, mm-hmm. 
all my Australian friends were like, you sound more Australian, even though you've lived in the deep south for the last two years. What the hell is going on? And I think it was because I was like really trying to cling on to like my Australianness mm-hmm. when I was in this like foreign, you know, culture, I suppose, um, yeah. you know, and having that culture shock. So, uh, but the, the tagline of the university I went to was unapologetically Baptist. And it was, mm-hmm. um, so it was very, uh, conservative, Christian conservative. And, um, and so kind of because of that, because of the small town that we were in as well, I was in a place called um, Mount Vernon, Georgia, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of um, Savannah and Atlanta, smack bang in rural um, Georgia. And the, yeah, the kind of mindset there around sexuality was very, let's say, repressive, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, the, one, the one university level class I took on sexuality at the time because I was studying psychology was mm-hmm. Christian approaches to human sexuality. And so mm-hmm. it was very dogmatic in the sense that homosexuality was considered a sin and um, premarital sex was also frowned upon and contraception wasn't taught and it was mm-hmm. pleasure negative. It was very sex negative. It was... It was just like a big shock to me coming from Australia where we're a little bit more, mm. let's say, liberal or open um, about sexuality. So okay. kind of being in that environment for a couple of years, I was like, wow, this is intense. Like people hear uh, um, like the, the shame and the stigma around sexuality, which is quite intense in that particular community, was really affecting these young people. And that was like the mm-hmm. first light bulb for me. I was like, okay, there's like something here around human behavior and sexuality and, and the intermingling of those that kind of needs to be talked about. There's education. Mm-hmm. It really needs to kind of be stepped up. Um, and then I went to spend two more years. I transferred, uh, spent another two years in um, a place called Dubuque in Iowa, uh, in oh, the yeah. tri-state area of, um, yeah, of Illinois, Iowa and um, Michigan, I think. Is that the mm-hmm. state? I'm not sure. Um, and that was a Catholic school, Catholic university. So again, there was that kind of religious influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I took like, um, Catholic ethics and things like that. So there was things around, you know, sexuality and mm-hmm. those classes. And mm-hmm. again, saw the saw the impact that kind of religion and dogma had on people's expressions of their sexuality and and how they felt comfortable showing up. And again, there was a lot of shame and stigma attached. A lot of purity culture, particularly. Yeah. Um, and and so again, I was studying psychology and, and I was also noticing that I was having a lot of my own issues sexually as well at this time. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was a young guy. I was, you know, I went over when I was 17. So between 17 to 21, I was, I was you know, at university and, and I kind of fell in with like the fraternity crowd. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I was, um, I don't know what it is, but uh, Americans seem to love Australians. So when I went over there, um, yes. like the, it was just like, I was welcomed with open arms, which is lovely. Um, the hospitality was really great. Um, yeah, I, it's a little bit of like fetishizing, that. a little bit of yeah, objectifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, totally. I, there were some Australians that came to my university and I remember how a lot of the women perceived them. Um, and I just, ima- I just remember being like, that's going to be that's really intense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it was it was an interesting experience, and and so kind of because of that, I became like an honorary member of like a couple of fraternity houses because mm-hmm. the fellas just wanted to to be mates with the Australian dude. Yeah. Um, but but that um, and I was also a college athlete as well, so I went over there to play sport. Uh, so mm-hmm. I was in these like really hyper masculine macho in, environments, little little um, pockets of of um, like men, I suppose, and and. Mm-hmm. And it was really, um, like, it, it was really conflicting for me. Like, I didn't feel super comfortable in those spaces, but mm-hmm. those are the only spaces that I 
kind of felt welcomed. Uh, and so I mm-hmm. had to like play into it, I suppose. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, the, the way that I talked about sex and the way that I talked about women and the way that I showed up in the world was very, just that stereotypical straight white dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like sex was all about, you know, quantity over quality and that the every hole is a goal kind of mindset. And, mm-hmm. um, and just like, very, like misogynistic is the, yeah. is the word to kind of sum it up. Right. Um, that was both like the college athlete space and the fraternity space. And, and so I was having like a lot of internal issues and that was showing up not only kind of mentally, I was quite in a mm-hmm. bad mental health space for that time, but also it was showing up physically as well. I was having a lot of like tension and anxiety in my body um, and that was affecting me sexually. So I like, I wasn't, I was struggling to, you know, to get erections, to get and maintain erections. I was struggling with premature ejaculation. Mm-hmm. I was outsourcing my pleasure to porn. I was just watching a lot of porn. Um, I was really struggling to connect intimately with the young women that I was being sexual with. Um, mm-hmm. it, I was very narrow and rigid with regards to what I thought sex was supposed to look like. Uh, and it was just, I was just having poor, poor experiences. Uh, and so it wasn't until like, um, I'd, I'd seriously injured my back and, um, I, mm. I fractured my, my spine and, and through rehabilitation, through clinical Pilates and rehab, I was introduced to yoga and meditation and breath work and all these kind of healing modalities. And it, you know, for the first time in my life, I had actually slowed down and listened to my body and started to release tension, stored tightness in my body, which you know, we know is connected to your emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I was releasing tension physically, I was also starting to unlock and release these emotions that I'd been holding on to, like the grief and the frustration and the feeling of ostracization and, and all this stuff that had been you know, that I'd been holding on to. I remember many times during a yoga and Pilates class, I just broke down in tears um, halfway through a class on the mat or I had this like surge of anger come up out of nowhere um, halfway through class. And so that prompted me to go and see a, my own therapist and a counsellor and work through a lot of these emotions and just learn how to process, like, like learn emotional regulation, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like really impactful in the way that I started interacting with people. You know, I started feeling more comfortable in my own body and more comfortable in my own skin and speaking up for what I kind of believed in and kind of calling out the shit that I was seeing in terms of like the behavior these other guys mm-hmm. around me were, were doing. And, um, and then I noticed that like I was able to connect better with the, the women I was um, interacting with uh, because I was just being a bit more authentic and mm-hmm. slowing down and focusing on more on pleasure rather than on the performance side of things. And that kind of really snowballed into like, well, there's something here. Like I was studying psychology and then also had these like body-based healing modalities. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, they're both kind of working towards the same goal, which is that transformation. Um, and I was like, well, how, how can we bring those two things together? Like where is that intersection between these body-based and mind-based practices? Because it tends to be this like really dualistic way of thinking yeah. about um, psychology and, and physiotherapy, I suppose. Uh, and so I, I wanted to pursue that. And that's I, I knew I said uh, I was going to be concise, but I, I guess I kind of haven't. Um, but long story short... You're not short, alone. Was, You're not alone. I struggle. I, was, I struggle too. <laughs> I was very, very uh, interested and intrigued and passionate mm-hmm. about these two areas of, of study, which is you know, psychology and, and the body. And mm-hmm. so I, I pursued postgraduate degrees in sexology and psychology and counselling. And when I did mm-hmm. massage courses and yoga teacher trainings and... 
uh, traveled around. I went, I was very fortunate. I, I was able to travel to South America, to Southeast Asia, to Central America, to, um, all these beautiful places and, and like learn from those experiences, did a bit of plant medicine, did a bit of, um, like I ordained as a Buddhist monk in Northern Thailand. I was, um, I did some teacher training in, in India and, and really pushed myself to all these limits, I suppose, um, physically and mentally in order to kind of bring that back into my own personal practice and, and, and the practice that I have for clients. And, and so like today I kind of, like I shared at the beginning, I try and speak to myself 10 years ago. I try and speak to the young man that I was, um, and the stuff that I needed to hear, I needed like an older guy who had a bit of experience, who shared kind of my own lived experiences and was just open and honest and knowledgeable about sexuality and masculinity and didn't, you know, didn't say that I had to conform to something that I felt really um, a lot of resistance to. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try and do today is just kind of speak to myself um, as my teenage self. And that seems to resonate with a lot of people, a lot of guys, particularly mm-hmm. I think regardless of socioeconomic status and, um, ethnicity tend to have similar experiences with regards to their um masculinity and sexuality and and i try and um yeah i just try and speak to that and i outsource Mm -hmm. like i said if there's um if there's unique things um with regards to like black masculinity or um, indigenous Mm -hmm. masculinity i try and outsource that to people that know what they're talking about as well because i think there's like really important stories and there's a lot of value in kind of um outsourcing Mm -hmm. To, to those people as well. So that's where I'm at yeah. today. I've got a really beautiful sex coaching practice um, mm-hmm. and I work specifically with men. Again, that was a whole journey to, you know, to get to like niching mm-hmm. in that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's been, it's been a wild ride and I've just, you know, become a father now and yeah. um, thinking about, you know, raising my son and, and mm. how I'm going to talk to him about sexuality as he grows up and masculinity and giving him mm-hmm. the freedom to kind of express what's coming up for him. And, yeah, it's just been a pretty wild like 10 years I think and it's yeah. and it's only it's only kind of getting wilder there's so much like opportunity and avenues to kind of mm-hmm. do this work so I'm really excited and, and I'm super grateful that there's platforms like this to have these conversations so thanks for letting me ramble <laughs> there's there's so much in the rambling though like there's so much substance you know so I'm always like I I do invite the rambling um mm. I think it's really important to just kind of see where people's, you know, train of thought goes. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing all of that. And I think there is so much power in talking to that younger version of yourself. And in a way you're helping heal others while also healing yourself and kind of the the opposite of that too, right? In a way, when you're healing that younger version of yourself, you're also helping heal other people um, Mm. through healing yourself. So I think think that's a beautiful process. Um, Something I've been doing over the last 10 years and then having to take a deeper look at currently. And it is really, really powerful, strong, deep, intense work to do. Um, and it, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, you are speaking to this population and, and that definitely comes through in your work. And I think, you know, a lot of what you were talking about where you were at 10 years ago in terms of the misogyny and, you know, essentially like upholding patriarchy in a way, um, that like that is something that impacts everyone's sex life. That's something that impacts all genders. That has been essentially what has written, has wrote the entire script of what sex is supposed to be, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. 
in our mainstream dominant cultures, I think across the globe, I'm not super like (laughs) cultured in the whole world, but you know, at least I guess in the States, uh, that seems to be the pretty dominant cultural messaging around sex and that it is kind of drenched in this misogynistic patriarchal um, script. Yeah. yeah, the word that, that comes to mind when I think about the way sex is portrayed is phallocentric, right? It's like mm-hmm. very penis-oriented. And yeah, I mean, we can talk more into that, but like sex doesn't have to be yeah. focused on your penis and, and that's something I tell a lot of men. I, I, mm-hmm. the, the little saying that I have for guys is like you're not just your penis, you're actually one big penis and you can experience pleasure <laughs> across your whole body. And uh, that tends to like, there's a little light bulb moment for a lot of guys like, oh my God, what? I'm allowed to do that? Yeah, like you're actually a huge dick. Not exactly. Just, not just one dick. Um, that, that's, that's a great way of, of saying it. Um, there were, toward, throughout, whenever we, we talk, um, a, so I got introduced to your work actually through my chosen father, um, Rob. He had found your account and had been following you for a while. And I honestly, I don't, I don't know. I guess I still am relatively new entering into the field of, um, of sexology. I'm getting my PhD currently, um, in clinical sexology and wanting to do a ton of episodes in May focused on masturbation. And I was like, I need some penises. It's like, I need some penises. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't feel like a lot of, uh, people with penises speak on the show here. I feel like I don't hold conversation around sex in a public space with other educators necessarily who have penises. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, I think it was on your show, you interviewed uh, Dr. Joe Court, who's actually one of my mentors and supervisors yeah. in, the, uh, in the PhD program. Um, but, you know, I think other than him, other than having him on recently, I was like, yeah, there it, I don't know of other like white cis het men with penises that speak about sexuality in a way that's like holistic and helpful and mindful and conscious and intentional. And Rob, my chosen father, was like, "Yeah, you should check this guy out." Um, and so I do have some questions that like uh, both from him and from like other. Uh, men um, to ask some questions a little bit later and, and kind of throughout. But I was wondering if, if you run into that, like if you run into feeling like, you know, when you think about that, that version of yourself 10 years ago, like where were the mentors who looked like you, who held the identities that you did that were like essentially giving messages, right? That like, it's okay. You are more than your penis. Mm, yeah. The, the only people that I, had as role models in that space, like um, uh, David Lay talks about sexual role models, like who are your sexual role models? Mm -hmm. Um, The only people that I thought like could think of at that time were, and this sounds so horrible and I hate to say it, but were pickup artists or like Mm. the Neil Strauss and Mystery and all these, you know, white dudes, straight Mm -hmm. white dudes who were talking about sexuality Obviously not in a very holistic way, obviously not in a very conscious and intentional and mindful mm-hmm. way, but they were the only guys that were talking about sex at that time that I could think of mm-hmm. um, or that I, that I had access to, that I could find anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And so like 
one of my big motivators for doing this work is to combat that community because it's yeah. it, like it's super prevalent online mm-hmm. and so um, and that's a whole different conversation um, but mm-hmm. that, that's that's a big driver for me is to like really try and offer alternatives to some of the crap that they espouse yeah. um, and so so I do find um, unfortunately myself being a bit of a rare breed in the sexuality mm-hmm. space um, particularly in the sexuality space that I try and you know um, yeah. be a part of, which is the holistic sex positive, pleasure positive space. Cause there's not mm-hmm. a lot of guys in there, unfortunately. And, yeah. and some of the guys that kind of are in there and I obviously won't name any names, but feel at least a little bit out of integrity, just lack a little bit of that alignment as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, there's countless stories of like sacred sexuality gurus and these male yeah. teachers who cross boundaries and have been accused of sexual assault and things like that. And it just, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, yeah. it just boggles my mind that that you're in that space and and that happens. So yeah, some, yeah. That, that's a big that's a big thing for me is like abiding by professional guidelines and ethics because mm-hmm. fucking you need to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's I mean, you know, there are a ton of uh, sex therapists who have penises who I think do a great job of like talking about this kind of stuff. Um, but I think people who speak out about it publicly, like people who have like a public presence, um, who are straight and also white and also have penises, um, that talk about sex in this way in some sense almost doesn't make sense because it, you are made to believe it wouldn't actually benefit you because you benefit, you think you benefit, um, from how the script is as is. And I think yeah, there's a lot of blind spots in that. Totally. I resonate with that heaps because the bane of my life is getting men to listen to me. Like I can, I can pack out <laughs> a room. You don't say. But, yeah, yeah. Like if I do a workshop, I've done like, um, you know, uh, like, uh, exclusive workshops, like one, like one for cishet dudes, one for uh, cishet women. And like if I do a women's workshop, I'll pack it out. And, mm-hmm. and women are like eager to learn about male sexuality. They want to know about their male partners. But yeah. if I do one for the guys it's the hardest thing to try and get that room Mm -hmm. full of men who want to talk about sexuality. But I will say once they do show up and once they do, you know, once that space is created for them to talk, I can't shut them up. They, Mm -hmm. they like, you know, the guys that, that are open to it, they are are super open to it. They want to talk. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just about finding those guys and getting the, the guys who Mm -hmm. aren't really that keen to actually start to get the ball rolling and and crack that door Mm -hmm. open a little bit. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's been my whole, my whole business model. Yeah. Structured it not very well to target, you know, straight white dudes because they aren't super open to this work, but you know, slowly but surely we'll, we'll crack that nut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's some cis, Het men listening, and if not, then their partners are listening, and maybe their <laughs> partners can can pass some of your work by. Um, one of the things, so like I know you talk a lot about like you know the myths and the things that um, like the fears and whatnot that a lot of men have with entering into this kind of like conscious and, and mindful sexuality, um, which I think we've talked a little bit about what those kind of look like. But I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to what some of the fears folks have in kind of working with you or going into this area. (laughs) So um, again, I'll preface this and I've said it um, before, but like I work with cishet white guys. That's like my predominant thing. So when, if I'm saying men or, or, you know, um, referring to my clients, that's, that's a demographic of people that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And, And so like these men that I work with, 
one of the biggest fears, I suppose, that pops up, in fact, there's a couple and they're all kind of laid into one another, but, but some of them that pop, pop up are um, like firstly reaching out and, and actually seeking help in the realm of sexuality implies that they aren't all knowing when it comes to sex. And that's like a big story that we have as a society is that men should just know what they're doing sexually and that they should be assertive and they should take charge and they should be the leader Mm -hmm. and they, they should be dominant in the bedroom and they should be able to like give their partner pleasure and that it's their job and their responsibility. They're the active participant, all that kind of stuff. Um, the way that we've kind of framed sex in our society, mm-hmm. a lot of guys um, like tr- like embody that unhealthily, and they, they yeah. um, and they you know, sex is a skill. You've got to learn about sex and sexuality um, in order to be good at it. Yeah, there's a little bit of like naturalness and, and inherent kind of understanding to it, but for the most part, you've got to learn your partner, you've got to learn your own body, you've got to learn the things to do, and and um, to admit that you don't know what you're mm-hmm. doing is like it challenges and goes against that that whole story that men are supposed to be this knowledgeable partner mm-hmm. um and and so that's a huge fear that guys have when it comes to like reaching out for any type of help mm-hmm. uh, and, and so when i start when i start working with them and saying look that's fine like sex is a skill like you've got to you've you've got to let go of that kind of ego i suppose mentality around mm-hmm. like being good at sex and start to like focus more on on pleasure like that's another big fear that guys have Mm -hmm. is like experiencing pleasure like guys are really good at Mm -hmm. um experiencing gratification but not so good at experiencing pleasure um and so that that's a a big distinction that i like to make um because guys and again this is just a sweeping statement but i what this is what i've observed to be relatively true for the men that i Mm -hmm. work with is guys will focus more on their partner's pleasure than they will on their own pleasure, but yeah. they'll focus more on their own gratification um, when it comes to, to sex. And, and kind of what I mean by this is like the, mm-hmm. the way that guys talk in a locker room, if you've ever heard men talk in a locker room, you'll understand what, I'm, what I mean by this. But the way guys talk about sex in, in these locker room situations is like overemphasizing their female partner's pleasure. Like, oh, she, you know, she had this many orgasms. I made her come this many times. Like she was this loud. It was, you know, um, I gave her you know, a deep dicking, whatever the fucking language is for mm-hmm. it. It's all horrendous yeah. language. Grabbed but her by all, the pussy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's all, it's all centered on like her and I'll put in here, her perceived pleasure, like what yes. he perceived that she, um, she experienced. Never will guys talk about like how much pleasure they had in, in that environment they'll they'll never say oh i had this like full body orgasmic experience i had all these Mm -hmm. tingles through my chest and through my face and like i I was i was writhing in ecstasy like no no guys are are talking like that in the locker room they're all downplaying their own pleasure and saying yeah i busted the biggest nut or i just came Mm -hmm. like so hard or you know just focusing on their gratification and then focusing on this kind of false perceived um female pleasure let's say um and so like getting getting men to kind of go all right, I need to just get rid of that mentality as much as possible and start focusing on like the pleasure that I can experience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I use, I use that in like a, a self pleasuring context. So I'll, I'll help them shift from masturbation to self pleasure with masturbation, having a lot of baggage and negative connotations to it. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it's porn oriented as well. So I'll kind of help them focus on like 
the pleasure that they can experience um, yeah. and, and just moving away from this kind of five-second sticky white crotch sneeze, which is what a lot of guys tend to be goal-oriented towards when it comes mm-hmm. to sex and masturbation. It's like I just need to get that end result of that ejaculation. Yeah. Um, so this kind of ejaculation focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so Super. shifting away from that and focusing on the pleasure they can experience tends to freak a lot of guys out. There's a lot of fear around that um, because... Requires vulnerability. Yeah, sure as shit does, yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's like that surrendering into it and that letting go of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And when when guys do that, they feel like they're not in control anymore. They feel like there's this, um, like I use the word term, letting go. There's this letting go of like expectations and what sex Mm -hmm. should look like because a lot of the things that, you know, Yes, the way that a lot of people are having sex was just that like very um, phallocentric, straightforward, you know, stereotypical way can be pleasurable, but a lot of the things that are also pleasurable don't look like that and don't fit into that mold. And mm-hmm. so when we start to focus on pleasure and we start to realize that all these other things that don't fit that mold are actually pleasurable for us, there's again this fear of like, oh, I'm, am I weird or is there something wrong with me yeah. because... I get a lot of pleasure from this and not from penetration alone, for example. Uh, so that brings up a lot of, yeah, just challenges a lot of stories that, that men hold with regards to what sex should look like for them and their partner. Um, mm-hmm. so, there's, so there's fear again. I mean, there's fear layered into a whole bunch of different things. There's um, yeah. the fear of like not being able to, to please their partner. A lot of guys have that mm-hmm. fear come up for, for themselves and, um, and they kind of, measure their own masculinity based on how much pleasure their partner experiences which is why it gets blown out of proportion and overemphasized in those locker room scenarios because every guy is trying to one-up the other guy Mm -hmm. and be more of a man um but when that comes to like a you know just a personal um outside of those those scenarios guys are afraid of not being enough for their partner or not being able to, Mm -hmm. to to pleasure her or not being able to to give her enough orgasms um, yeah. because a lot of guys feel like it's their responsibility, their partner's pleasure is their own responsibility. And, and so a big learning that I share with people in general um, is that your pleasure is your own responsibility. You're not responsible for your partner's mm-hmm. pleasure. Um, it's not your job to give your partner an orgasm, um, but you facilitate each other's pleasure by talking and communicating and, and just being with each other in that space and, and learning about each other's pleasure and asking questions and doing all the really important work right that mm-hmm. communication work um mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so there's i mean i i, I could keep going i, I don't want to because <laughs> i'm sure there's other questions but like there's like there's just a lot of fear like men yeah. are afraid of sex i'll say mm-hmm. like they're afraid of of holistic yeah. sex and and pleasure there's just a lot of fear around it Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's also because so much of their worth as a man is wrapped up in their penis and their penis's ability to be valuable is dependent on this intense, again, perceived uh, pleasure that they can give aka help facilitate and share with Mm. a female partner. Um, And, you know, there really is so much pressure, I think, on men when it comes, like there's pressure on everyone when it comes to sex. But I do think especially for men, which again, and all of this seems very much like this is all created by patriarchy. And so even though it is uh, men who are also suffering from it does not mean that it's not 
also because of this, you know, perceived power and um, actual tangible power that men hold in society, uh, but that it does still create harm for them. And so, you know, this, this kind of assumption and role that I think a lot of men end up playing in, in their relationships is in some ways teaching their female partners about their own pleasure. Like there's so much stigma around female pleasure as well. And, and them not having, you know, access and sex education, even just around their fucking genitals. Like, I don't think I really, I don't think I actually learned the difference between my vulva and my vagina. So I was like 25. Mm. Um, it was like three years ago and I was like, excuse me, what? Like, (laughs) okay, there's, there's some identification there. Um, but I think for so long, even in my own relationships and in my sex life, I did look to the men I was with to teach me about what felt pleasurable within my body. And so I think there is this, not only it inflates the ego and it helps give more of that validation of a sense of purpose, but it also, I think, feels like it's how they can then connect with their partners as well because they're teaching and kind of showing off in a way. Um, I, I love everything you said there and it, it makes total sense. Um, part of what you were saying about, you know, not focusing on their own pleasure. Um, one of the questions, and this was like, I wanted to make sure I had questions from men. Nope. <laughs> it's like, this is like, yeah, need, needed to come from some men. Um, so one man asked, is there ever a time where I can be too expressive of my emotions in the bedroom? And that to me sounds like fear coming up of what you were just kind of talking about. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's, this is a, um, an interesting question because I get this a lot. Um, hmm. And I, I particularly I get asked by... Um, not asked by women, um, but I, I get kind of told or, or women share with me that um, when their male partner is too emotional or too expressive or too vulnerable, mm-hmm. that it's a little bit of a turn off. Um, that it's it shakes like up the dynamic. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're kind of not, not used to it and they kind of want their male partner to take the lead a little bit more and to be a bit more assertive. And, and so I want to acknowledge that, that they're, you know, for some partnerships and for some dynamics, there probably might be a time where if you're being too expressive and too emotional and too vulnerable, quote-unquote too vulnerable as if that's mm-hmm. a thing, um, that you're, that you're you know, I'll use a heterosexual example, that your female partner might go, that's a bit of a turn-off for me. Like I don't, mm-hmm. that doesn't get me... Uh, arouse that doesn't make me feel attracted to you um Mm -hmm. and and so that's one way of answering that question another way of answering this question is like i like to talk about emotional regulation right Mm -hmm. and and there's a difference between like being emotionally expressive and just like like almost like emotional vomit just like spewing it out there and like there being no rhyme or reason to the expression of just being no like release. Yeah, totally. No, like no agreements with your partner about what can come up and what can be held space for mm-hmm. um, versus like being emotionally regulating with your, with like your expression and being like, okay, cool. I, I know that I'm choosing to express this and I, I, I don't necessarily need my partner to be my therapist right now because I can manage this and handle it myself, but it's important for me to kind of share this and be authentic about mm-hmm. what's coming up for me and, and be genuine in my expression of it. But I'm, it's, it's not going to, I'm not going to go off the rails here and, and have this mm-hmm. huge cathartic emotional um, 
breakdown, so to speak, um, with regards to that experience. So that's a piece that I teach a lot of men in my personal work um, with them is, is that emotional regulation piece and learning how to like identify emotions, not only mentally and and cognitively, but also physically as well. Like there's physical Mm -hmm. components to emotions and starting to like process that and, and just have a tool belt of things to do in order to Mm -hmm. like maintain those emotions and not kind of shove them down and push them down and forget about them, but also not to just like let them explode out of you. Like the, the Mm -hmm. uh, image that I have is like road rage, for example, like there's a lot of anger. A lot of guys are carrying a lot of anger um, and frustration. They don't really know what to do with it. And they either push it down and pretend it's not there or they let it explode through in inappropriate circumstances. Mm -hmm. And they, they, you know, scream or you know or they hit someone or they do something Mm -hmm. like really um violent so it's like okay how can we regulate that anger and give it a a a purposeful outlet or a creative Mm -hmm. outlet or or a healthy outlet i suppose and um Mm -hmm. and so that's another way of kind of answering that that question is like if you can regulate your own emotions and you're not you're not trying to make your partner your therapist um then you can definitely like not mm-hmm. be too vulnerable, so to speak, as long as it's kind of within that, yeah. that context. Yeah. Well, and I feel like being expressive with your emotions in the bedroom, even if that's like part of what comes to mind for me there is like being expressive with, in a way, your pleasure, um, which is where I think often a lot of men, at least in my experience, have been kind of like bottled up in that. And, and there's also a lot of like, stigma and um I want to just say like meanness around men who like you know in movies and in comedy you know it's like making fun of like how they come and like you know what facial expressions they're making and then it's just like you're supposed to just kind of you know thrust thrust dust and just like you know just come and maybe there's like a sigh but otherwise like not much else is coming out of you. Um, And so I'm wondering, you know, I think just through my own exploration of, you know, how I express pleasure in my body has gotten a ton more vocal, a ton more like full body, like everything. I could see where for men stepping into that would be really terrifying. Yeah, and and you're right. Like it gets it gets um, made fun of. It's the butt of mm-hmm. a lot of jokes in yeah. movies and TV shows. Like the vinegar strokes joke, um, and like the the O faces for guys. Like the, mm-hmm. the and, and like making noise as well is like quite stigmatized in yeah. general. But even probably more so for for men. It's kind of fetishized for women, and it's kind of like stigmatized yeah. for men. It's it's a bit of a weird thing. Um, but yes, yeah, so like something that I I tell people in general is make more noise when you're having Mm -hmm. sex not only sex with a partner but sex with yourself as well yeah because at least in my humble opinion um sound is connected to pleasure and the more sound Mm -hmm. you make the more pleasure you'll experience um and if you're doing that with a partner the more you will invite them to make sound and the more Mm -hmm. pleasure they'll experience and it becomes this beautiful positive snowball effect um but yeah making making noise um for men is a big um, barrier for a lot of them. And, and there's this, mm-hmm. again, it comes back to like, I said fear before, but I think maybe anxiety is a bit more of an apt term. Um, there's yeah. a lot of anxiety around looking a certain way sexually mm-hmm. and fulfilling a certain role and the guy doesn't make noise. Like if you're mm-hmm. watching porn, like there's no, yep. there's, there's no 
you maybe hear a little bit of grunting and a little bit of, oh, fuck yeah, but that's about it, right? Like yeah. there's no other noises coming from the, the male performer. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, there is this, um, yeah, there is this fear around like breaking the mold, so to speak, and, and mm-hmm. kind of being expressive of your pleasure. And again, that ties into like, okay, well, if I was going to do that, then like, I'm, and I'm going to show you my pleasure, am I going to come quickly? Like, mm-hmm. like guys can have this, I guess, like blockage when it comes to like really dropping in and having this really intense pleasurable experience yeah. because they think it's going to make them get to that finish line quicker. Um, and oftentimes it does if, there's, if they've got no like skill set or they haven't learned like how to slow down and how to breathe mm-hmm. and how to kind of like build up that pleasure um, yeah. and it just kind of like comes to them real quickly, then they go from zero to ten and then all of a sudden they've ejaculated and, and for a lot of people an ejaculation is the end of a sexual experience, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way it's kind of been framed. I, I, l- I like to talk about like the unspoken symbolism of ejaculation and oftentimes mm-hmm. one of the you know, one of the, the stories you have about ejaculation is that's the end of a sexual experience. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's this fear of like, oh, if I really let go and experience pleasure, then I'm going to come too quickly and it's all going to be over. Um, or I'm going to look weird, right? My partner's going to think that I'm strange and weird because I'm like really dropped into my pleasure and I'm, I'm you mm. know, not fulfilling that kind of masculine, quote unquote, mm-hmm. dominant role. Um, so there, yeah, so you, you're right. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that pop up as resistances for men in terms of mm-hmm. expressing themselves in the bedroom. Yeah, I almost feel like it's a little bit of um, kind of like what Brene Brown talks about of foreboding joy. It's like you don't want to let yourself feel that pleasure, that joy, that that good feeling. You don't want to let yourself feel that for fear of something else happening, right? Like it going away, you being made fun of, you freaking your partner out, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I think also like to kind of combat that in a way like, for men, I mean, it's like, yeah, you think about how much joy and gratification they get for the noises that they hear their female partner make. Like, why can't that be reversed? You know, I think like if I'm giving someone a blowjob, if I'm giving them oral sex and they start making more noises, I then feel like, oh, mm-hmm, that's right. Like, yes, I'd, mm-hmm, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right here. I'm doing something that, that they like. Right. And then that can yep. involve like some communication as well and whatnot. But I think like noise is such a signifier throughout your sexual experience and you're helping to like communicate different things with your partner. Um, that that's like definitely something I feel like we should be ridding away with that. Like, it's okay for men to be expressive during, during sex. Um, I want to transition a little bit here to solo sex. Um, There's a ton of taboo, I think. And literally just last night, I was rewatching an old Kevin Hart stand-up and he's talking about the flashlight and this, this battle he has with the flashlight that his wife packed for him when he went out for a um, uh, filming in a different state. And you know, this like shame around like, I'm not going to be the dude that uses fucking sex toy. Like I don't need a sex toy. Like how dare she even think I needed to use a sex toy kind of a thing. Mm. And then he uses it, you know, and he's like, it's so good. But then also this like shame of like seeing himself in the mirror of like fucking this thing. And like, just how like, 
just the whole time he was talking through it, I was just like, oh yeah, this is just like a lot of shame and a lot of taboo around like male sex toys or pe- sex toys for penises. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to like the taboos around the sex toys that are used for penises. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing to, to note is like those sex toys get relegated to kind of the bottom of the hierarchy when it comes to the, the conversations around sex toys. Oftentimes it's you mm-hmm. know, very vibrator centric. Like there's a lot yeah. of amazing stuff that's for people that have vulvas. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, the, the quote unquote male sex toys or sex toys for people with penises often get pushed to the bottom of the, the conversation and they're like, I guess like really quite stigmatized mm-hmm. um, because I think there's like there's this story around male sexuality that it's very simple, it's very linear, it's very straightforward. Um, it's like almost like quite, um, what's the word, like animalistic in a sense. Like it's just like guys can just use their hand and jerk off like a chimpanzee furiously and, and until they get an ejaculation and that's all they kind of need. It's just like friction oriented and then, you know, a five second sticky white crotch sneeze, as I've said before at the end of their um, experience. And, and so because that's our mentality when it comes to like male self-pleasuring or male masturbation, the, the that instant gratification um, that I was speaking about before is like very prevalent. So when we think about like guys that want to explore more pleasure or that want to use a toy or that want to kind of go a little bit deeper and longer and more intense with their self-pleasuring and masturbation, the piece that often comes up for a lot of people, uh, particularly for men, is like, what's what's kind of wrong with me? What, am I a bit of a weirdo? Mm-hmm. Am I a bit of a creep? Because I'm, why don't I just use my hand and jerk off like a regular guy, like a quote unquote normal guy, like what every other guy is doing pretty much. Um, and so like there's this, um, yeah, this this fear of being thought of as a, a as a weirdo, as a creep, as a loser. Um, yeah. There's another like another story that pops up of like particularly guys that are using um, masturbation sleeves, that kind of flashlight style mm-hmm. masturbatory aid is like, oh, I'm a bit of a loser because I can't get a real partner. I can't get a real yeah. woman. I've got to use this kind of fake vagina yeah. or a fake mouth or whatever it is. Um, and so that often pops up for um, for a lot of men in terms of like that resistance, excuse yeah. me, to using, using toys. Um, and... And then there's like, I guess, the historically the way particularly male sex toys or sex toys for penises have been marketed, this is an interesting kind of history, um, it's like all these back alley, sleazy, slimy advertisements um, for fleshlights and for um, male sex toys like have been, that, that's just kind of been the norm. Like it's always mm-hmm. been like focused on, I don't know if, if people have listening have ever been into a, um, you know, an adult, adult shop or a sex toy shop, but mm-hmm. like a lot of the packaging for male sex toys is like just women with their with their breasts out, and it's like very objectifying and mm-hmm. you know playing into this idea of what male sexuality, quote unquote, is right, or, or the way that we've kind of yeah. packaged it in society, and so. Um, and so a lot of guys, particularly guys who are open to exploring more of their sexuality, who might be open to using sex toys, are put off by that marketing because they're like, oh, I'm not this greasy slime ball, you know, who wants to, you know, stick his dick in this hole. Like, yeah. I, I actually want to explore more. And, I, and that's what I found with, with 
exploring more of my sexuality using toys is like half the stuff that's been marketed to me as a guy, I'm like, I don't want to buy into that. Like what, you know, um, so that's been a, that's been an interesting kind of observation that I've seen with regards to like the more contemporary, let's say, um, sex toy mm-hmm. organizations or maybe, maybe the more mindful and intentional sex toy companies that are, you know, advertising in more, meaningful ways and saying like hey this is this can be a really beautiful way of exploring and expanding your pleasure not just mm-hmm. trying to sell a, a silicon sleeve to you know some you know guy who's perpetuating that stereotype of the way mm-hmm. male sexuality is so so i think that plays into it as well as guys don't want to like they don't want to be that that quote-unquote that guy there's a fear yeah. of being you know that creepy dude as well so um yeah there's a few things in there that i think relegate male sex toys to the bottom of the the pile Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i remember i did an ad last year for a masturbation sleeve for penises and it was definitely a mixed bag (laughs) it's definitely a mixed bag of uh of feedback there um and I was able to still kind of pick up a little bit you know on like yeah there is some shame here for like people that would maybe want to use that, that it sends some kind of message that like their hand isn't enough or, you know, that they can't like whatever it is, um, just seemed very silly. And I think also feels, um, slightly familiar with at least my, and I don't think I'm alone in this, but you know, using sex toys in general, um, I think also have this kind of shame around them that like you must be so desperate or you must be so lonely and I think for cis het white men that it's extra shamey and extra guilty and telling of their value because so much of their gratification and experience and pleasure and purpose in sex is through getting that gratification of female yeah totally totally yeah yeah i 100 agree with you and i've I've done similar posts and have got mixed responses from guys saying how much of a loser i am for using you know Mm. sex toys and then other guys being like this is amazing finally someone's talking about male sex toys Mm -hmm. and you know and so it's just yeah it's quite an interesting yeah you you hit the nail on the head mixed bag of responses when it comes to talking about particularly male sex toys for sure yeah, well, and I'm curious about one kind of toy um, that goes into one particular part of the <laughs> body uh, that also maybe leads us to having a little bit of time here on this part of uh, sexuality. Um, and that would be a thing like a butt plug or like a prostate massager. Um, and there is so much shame and guilt and disgust, I find, around the conversation of prostate pleasure for cishet white men that, mm. I'm not fucking gay. Uh, oh. That's just for, that's the exit door. That's just for shit. Nothing comes in. Um, it's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, man, we could do a whole podcast just on this alone in fact i have done whole podcasts on this topic alone but um there's a there's an amazing resource by um charlie glickman called the ultimate guide to prostate pleasure which i highly recommend to anyone um who's Mm -hmm. interested in this kind of topic but the the and what he identifies and what i've seen um in the clients that i've worked with is like a couple of big fears around prostate 
play mm-hmm. and, and any type of anal stimulation. And yeah. some of those are, um, like you've mentioned before, the, the fear of um, like disgust, I suppose. Like mm-hmm. this is like it's going to be gross. Like it's an exit hole, not an entry hole. Yeah. Like, you know, poo comes out of there. Like, oh, God, it's going to be gross. And mm-hmm. it's like that's a pretty easy thing to, to mitigate, right? Like yeah. the, the hygiene factor is what I think um, – Charlie Glickman calls it. Uh, and so that's easy enough to mitigate. It's like just shower, use a douche, like use a condom if you're worried. Like there's, there's plenty of ways yeah. you can make sure that it's hygienic. Um, another fear that comes up is it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I find it really interesting to find out where that story comes from because if you've never done it before, how do you know it's going to hurt? You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a question that I have to, to a lot of men when I talk about this to them. And... Um, and those two stories that pop up are like why it might be painful is prostate exams at the doctors and horror stories from yeah. other men, from their fathers, from whoever, uh, and even the way it's portrayed in some movies and stuff, the, the snap mm-hmm. of the glove and like yeah. cough as I enter and like no lube, like it's just portrayed as this really horrible thing. Um, and then also um, the other story, which is probably more prevalent, is... Um, anal sex portrayed in pornography and mm-hmm. a lot of the time the pain is actually emphasized in the porn yeah. because that's you know there's a whole porn genre porn genre called painal which is like the painful anal sex which is a really horrible thing to to put out there but mm-hmm. so that's another you know, another reason why that story comes up but and I tell guys look if you're not doing it correctly yeah it'll hurt but mm-hmm. if you're relaxed and if you're using lube and if you're doing it properly and here's some strategies for doing it, it's going to be super pleasurable and it's not going to hurt at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that's another relatively easy thing to mitigate. Yeah. Uh, that's the pain yeah. factor. The hardest thing to overcome, which you have mentioned um, before, is the um, like the homohysteria, the homophobic kind yeah. of fear. And whether it's in whether it's internalized or whether it's like super overt, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of guys use that language online, unfortunately. But the, um, yeah, the fear is that like, if I do this, I will be gay. Like yeah. as if there's a switch inside your anus yeah. that you press and it turns you into a, um, a gay yeah. man. But um, I like to share two surveys with regards to this. Um, there's a survey done on, on you know, gay couples, gay men, and there was a survey done on um, heterosexual couples. And the, the, the questions were, were pretty similar. Um, were how frequently do you partake in anal penetration, anal stimulation? And the homosexual couples said about one in three times. So every time they're being sexual, they, they have anal sex um, or they do a, some type of anal stimulation um, one in three times. And... They asked a similar question to the heterosexual couples and they, they, they specified um, anal stimulation on the male partner and the results came back of one in four times that they were doing it, so 25% of the time. And I would hazard a guess and say because there's a bit of stigma around admitting that you are doing some sort of anal stimulation um, mm-hmm. on, your, on yourself or, or as, as the male partner, that would probably yeah. be one in three and they'd be similar rates. So, um, And the reason why it's a similar rate, at least in my humble opinion, is because everyone has an anus and uh. we are human beings and we do things pretty much statistically on average the same at the same rate, at the same frequency. Um, and so this idea that like, 
anal penetration is solely the domain of gay men is yeah. like a things that I know Joe Court talks about this as well. Yeah. Um, is, yeah, your is anus like does not that needs... have a sexual orientation. Totally, yeah. Your prostate yeah. doesn't have a doesn't have a gender, so you mm-hmm. can, you know, and 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 like, and especially if you're doing it like with a partner as well. If you're a, if you're a guy, if you're a straight guy, and you're having sex with a straight woman, and regardless of what the two of you do together, that's still by definition straight <laughs> sex. Like it just it just blows yeah. my mind that like that the the logic that these guys like jump through to try and you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, to try and you know. Uh, Validate their homophobia, I suppose, is is yeah crazy, but um, try to protect their heterosexuality. Yeah, totally. That kind of fragile heterosexuality, Mm -hmm. right? That fragile masculinity. Um, Yeah. So that that's a big one that I work through a lot of guys with, and and um, you know, there's other there's some amazing um, surveys done by um, adult toy companies, so you obviously take them with a a grain of salt, but um, Mm -hmm. you know, they've seen huge upticks in. prostate massage sales and, and um, like other surveys done with regards like like the percentage of men that have explored their, their anal you know, play or prostate play and, and it's like mm-hmm. upwards of like 70% now of men that have like tried it in, in, in these surveys at least. Uh, so there's like this more openness I suppose and there is this kind of slow trend for guys to feel more comfortable kind of doing it and, and mm-hmm. exploring it and, and asking for it as well, like asking their partners to kind of do something with them um, with regards to that. But, yeah, there's mm-hmm. still those huge big blockages, unfortunately. And, and when guys see other guys online, you know, saying how gay it is or saying how, you know, mm-hmm. bad it is to do it, then it just perpetuates those, those fears, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's really a shame how much we let shame prevent us from fully living and experiencing pleasure in our sex lives and our bodies. It's a lot. Yeah, totally. And and there's so much like value in just exploring your body in general, but like also mm-hmm. to keep in the same vein of, of what we've been talking about, like prostate stimulation and anal play like opens you up to prostate orgasms for example and um allows you to kind of like experience pleasure in in different ways it allows you to become multi-orgasmic because prostate orgasms don't involve an ejaculation like it helps with Mm -hmm. prostate health and prostatitis and sexual function uh it helps with like reproductive health as well if you're you know trying to conceive uh sperm motility and um, mobility Mm -hmm. increases through prostate massage like there's just so like releasing tension from your anus as well. Like guys hold shitloads of tension in their sphincters. It's like relaxing that and massaging it. Like getting a massage in your shoulder yeah. to release tension from your neck is super beneficial for you. Like there's just actually so much yeah. like betterment. Uh, you become a better lover as well. Something I like to talk about is, is like yeah. once you learn what it's like to be penetrated, you become a better mm-hmm. penetrator as well. Like you, cause you have this experiential understanding of how slow you need to go, how much lube you need to use, how sensitive yeah. you need to be. Like it just, there's like when, when it's done properly and healthily and, um, and I guess like with consent, if you're doing it with another person, mm-hmm. like you, like there's only good things that can come from it, at least in my, in my mind. Yeah. So, um, is, and, and extending that to like the rest of your body as well. Like start touching your nipples, start mm-hmm. like touching your face, start include, like including other areas of your body in your self-pleasuring only has good things to it. And mm-hmm. um, one of the, uh, 
to speak into another fear really briefly, one of the reasons why there's a lot of resistance for men to do that is again tied back into that um, phallocentric idea of what sex is supposed to be and especially mm-hmm. masturbation as well as like my pleasure comes from my cock um, or the pleasure I give comes from my cock. Once men start focusing on other areas of their body and, and moving away from their penis, that's a fear of like, mm-hmm. oh, now I'm, you know, now I'm not just, now I'm not just my cock. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, one, I'm one big dick. Um, but, but something else that can happen is when you start focusing on the pleasure that you experience in your anus or the pleasure that you experience in your chest or your face is sometimes your penis goes soft or it goes, it gets less hard. And because we're so focused on erections as well, that's something we haven't really talked about, but like the erect penis, the fear of the flaccid penis is what I Mm -hmm. like to talk about. Um, I like that. I mean, I don't like um, that, but it really uh, explodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, um, and it, and it, I mean, it's, it's what happens. Like if you're, if you're focusing on another area of your body, sometimes your penis will go soft or go less hard. And mm-hmm. guys can go, oh, my God, what is wrong with me? I'm experiencing pleasure and I'm enjoying myself, but my penis isn't hard. Something must be wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that brings up a lot of stories around like what, mm-hmm. again, challenging those ideas of like what sex should look like, what masturbation should look like, what their anatomy should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's not doing the quote-unquote correct things, then something's, something's amiss, something's wrong. So, um, yeah. so that's another hindrance that people have or men have to exploring other areas of the body is, is mm-hmm. what happens when they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love overall that you're doing this work. I think this is such a, I know there's a lot of shitting on cishet white men. And I know there's a lot of times (laughs) that I don't like cishet white men, but it is still so important that they do have space to be able to heal and to be able to hold space for themselves. Because I think in so many ways, the things that at least personally, frustrate me and and hurt me from cishet white men are because of the things of how they are shutting themselves off from themselves Um, and and then in a way kind of perpetuating that harm out in other areas. Um, I've worked with a few clients on this around, you know, their relationship with their penis and how they show up in sex and it's beautiful, beautiful work to do with people. Um, and I'm sure it definitely is a different experience coming from someone like yourself who they can also see themselves in maybe a little bit or relate to. Um, I'm wondering here, the, I guess to kind of wrap us up here on this question um, and then to kind of lead into maybe where people can find you as well. Um, but a question of, what can I do as a beginner in experiencing pleasure? I've been reading and listening to great minds, but I need to take more action. And mm. it sounds like, you know, after this podcast, even like what a, where people can find you and probably like your coaching services and everything, but what other steps like action wise you could, you would recommend to men? Yeah. Um, so some like real simple things that, that, you can start doing, I speak you collectively here to um, people with penises, I guess, is um, some of the things we've talked about, like start exploring, like lean into your curiosity and start exploring other areas of your body. There's a really beautiful practice called uh, pleasure mapping, which is, um, Mm -hmm. I just recommend this to to literally everyone that I talk to, 
um, just spend like a minimum of 20 minutes, start at your toes, slowly work your way up to the top of your head and just touch yourself in different ways. Like you've got, most of us have these beautiful tools on the end of our arms, which can pinch and pull and slap and push and grab and fold and all do all these crazy things. And, and, you know, a lot of that is enjoyable, is pleasurable. So, you know, spend Mm -hmm. some time just exploring your body. I kind of think of it as like this, um, uh, this map of, of, you know, topographical map of terrain and, and a lot of, lot of men only have this one section of this map filled in, which is like the, which is their genitals. It's typically mm-hmm. just the, the, their penis. And, and so if you can fill in the rest of that map and get really like detailed um, information about the rest of that map, not only are you learning more about your own sexuality and, and having this robust kind of understanding of it, you then have got something to share with your partner. You can be mm-hmm. like, hey, I really love when, I squeeze my feet. Do you mind doing that? Or I really love like mm-hmm. scratching my chest. Can you do that as well? And so you mm-hmm. start to, um, something I like to call sexual leadership is you kind of like start to take the lead in that really um, yeah. horizontal way rather than um, that kind of like hierarchical way. So um, you invite your partner into your own pleasure. Uh, so that's something I would, I would suggest is like lean into your curiosity. You start exploring other areas of your body. Like you use lube. Like if, even yeah. if, you're not exploring other areas of your body. If you're just like still masturbating um, using your hand in that kind of very stereotypical jackhammer way, just add lube and mm-hmm. notice. Not lotion, like, lube. Yes, lube, <laughs> yes, yes. And just notice notice what changes. You know, notice how that pleasure shifts for you. Um, if you're always sitting down when you masturbate, stand up when you masturbate next time and notice how that feels. If you're like... Um, if you if you stand up sometimes when you masturbate, try moving around. Try moving your body a little bit. You know, I, I like to talk about um, Joseph Kramer's porn yoga, and mm-hmm. you know, just start breathing a little bit differently when you masturbate. Shake your body when you're when you're masturbating. Like do certain things and mm-hmm. notice how your body uh, experiences pleasure a little bit differently. Uh, mm-hmm. And and a lot of that is um, that's really basic information. But I, I like to really expand on that in 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 the work that I do. Like if if I'm talking mm-hmm. about my own coaching services, I suppose. Like I work one-on-one with a lot of men um, yeah. and, and I help them develop what I call a self-pleasure practice, which is like a mm-hmm. daily practice where they tune into what's pleasurable for them. And that might not even look like uh, masturbation, right? Masturbation yeah. falls under the umbrella of self-pleasuring, but it's really what you yourself find pleasurable in that moment. And that might mm-hmm. not even include genital touch and, and genital stimulation. So, um, so if you can tune into pleasure, just doesn't have to be explicitly sexual, but just pleasure in general through mindful eating, through you know mm-hmm. um, smelling the, the rain when it comes down, like whatever it might be that really mm-hmm. gets into your senses and has this sense pleasurable sensory experience. Then um, you can then slowly start to get this ball rolling. So um, it's like if you're looking for guidance, like more in depth and more personalized guidance, like I do offer that that one on one coaching. But um, I've also got a I've got a course. I've got a course, a uh, six-week online course called Outperform a Porn Star, which is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title mm-hmm. um, because the first thing in that course is we fully debunk and deconstruct the mm. porn model of sex. Um, nice. And I often say, um, yeah, I say to these guys, like, if you can if you can learn how to separate ejaculation and orgasm, if you can learn how to have multiple orgasms, if you can learn how to actually experience pleasure and not just put on a performance and share that with your partner and communicate and talk and ask for consent and do all these crazy, amazing, beautiful things, like mm-hmm. you'd be well outperforming any porn star that you see on screen. Um, yeah. And so like we fully just deconstruct that whole mindset of performance over pleasure. Um, and that's, yeah, that that's 
you know, a really condensed six week version of a lot of the stuff that I do in my um, one-on-one coaching, but mm-hmm. yeah, but it's intense and, and, it, and it challenges a lot. Not only is it like physical, because I think it's really important not only to give physical tools and, and skills to learn, but it's also really important to challenge a lot of those stories, right? Um, a lot of the coaching that I see out there for men is just like, do your Kegel exercises, like learn how to breathe, like mm-hmm. do these physical things that are going to help you have better sex, which is great but I feel like that's only half of the equation, maybe even less than half. I feel like a lot of the work that needs to be done is rewriting the way that you think about sex and challenging those stories and opening up to different and alternative and, um, and new ways of thinking about sexuality and masculinity. So that's also what a lot of the course is. It's like just Mm -hmm. prompts and reflections and deconstruct like a a big media literacy as well. So I'm like, here's some critical examinations of the media that you're Mm -hmm. watching and, um, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's a shameless plug, I suppose. Thank you for letting me put that in there, but yeah, that's, um, that, that's something that you can do as well is, is go down Mm and uh, get some personalized guidance if you're wanting to like really tune into what's available to you as a, as a human being, really as a person with a penis. Yeah. I love the, the emphasis on the media reflection, because I think that's so powerful. And that's something that like we just internalize and just gets absorbed directly into our lives and, and, and how we show up. So I think that's so critical to be as a, as a part of that course, as a part of your coaching. Um, I, I don't want to keep you much longer. I know you have a little baby to get back to, um, and I'm wondering if there's any kind of last reflection here on just how you've noticed for yourself, um, your relationship with set with your own sexuality, your relationship with your penis, how that's been impacted by being a, a new father. Yeah, this is, um, that's okay. Um, this is a, um, yeah, it's still very new for me that yeah. our, our son is only three weeks old, but, um, like our sexuality, myself, my partners, the way that we connected with one another changed throughout pregnancy. Um, so that was a big thing. Like her body was changing, um, her hormones were changing and like my, like something that I uh, shared on a couple other podcasts is like I'm, I'm not attracted to pregnant women, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that's not a turn on for me. Pregnancy doesn't turn me on, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, if I think of like what my arousal patterns are. Um, but like I'm attracted to my partner, um, but I'm not necessarily attracted to like the the pregnant body, a pregnant woman's body. I think it's like amazing and beautiful, but it's not a turn on for me. So like navigating that space was quite interesting, um, and 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 then like that changed the way that we were kind of being intimate with one another, and and yeah. the things that she wanted to do, and the things that she could physically do sexually as well, kind of changed. So so that's yeah. been an interesting journey, and and we. <laughs> as soon as we kind of figured that out, she wasn't pregnant anymore. And now we've got a baby. <laughs> so like that, so things are kind of changing and evolving like yeah. really quite quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And now there's a human being literally physically in between us a lot of the time. Um, yeah. So, so um, we try and um, like something that we've just taken for granted is the amount of hugs that we give each other and just like mm-hmm. physical closeness, mm-hmm. which has been very difficult with a, you know, a crying or breastfeeding baby. Um, yeah. You can't kind of give that full bodied hug. So the physical touch has kind of been a little bit different and um, mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out how we can do that. So, yeah, it's a bit of, bit of a, a wild ride and, and I'm looking forward to kind of like once I've got my head around it, sharing a bit more about it on my, mm-hmm. um, on my social media and, and on my Instagram and, and things like that because, um, 
yeah, I don't think, at least I haven't seen a lot of parents, particularly fathers, talking about sexuality um, as they enter into parenthood and fatherhood. So, yeah, it's... um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I love that I do this work because I'm allowed to, I'm not allowed, you know, I'm, I, I have the comfortability to kind of talk about it and, and express it and, and, mm-hmm. um, and share kind of my own personal experiences and my partner's super okay with me talking about it as well. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to maybe be a, a little bit of a voice for, for fathers as well um, yeah. now that I'm kind of here and, and in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we definitely hear a lot of that from mothers and how that, you know, changes their relationship with their body, changes their relationship with sex. And I definitely don't think men even necessarily feel safe to be able to share some of the, you know, hardships of that and some of the um, struggles that maybe are associated with it. And maybe even some of the turn ons, maybe even for the people that do feel turned on uh, and and learn new things that um, give them arousal. So definitely an area I'm looking forward to hearing you share a little bit more on. And I know you mentioned your Instagram. Can you share your Instagram and any other places um, on the internet or I don't really think in person, um, but <laughs> anywhere else on the internet of where people should look for you. Um, we'll have the links to all of your stuff in the um, episode notes, but if you want to share with people um, your Instagram and anything cool. else. Yeah, thanks. So I'm, I'm at the Cam Fraser on all social media platforms. Um, that's like Twitter, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of the, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and diversify my audience as much as possible, which yeah. is a bit of a nightmare, I'll be honest. But um, I yeah. love, uh, particularly my Instagram account is where I put a lot of educational information up there. Mm-hmm. My, my promise is that if you jump on my Instagram account that you'll learn something new. Like that's, I try and be as educational mm-hmm. as possible um, on online. And, and yeah, that's my kind of, that's the highest value to me is education. So if you jump on there, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll, you'll learn something. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thanks for, for having these you know, conversations and having a platform to, yeah, to talk about all this. I think it's really important and I'm, I'm super grateful. Yeah, of course. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.